G'day, folks. It is the Neo Coach. That is the narrative event organizer. We're here to talk past the glory. Um, I am here with Paul from the Mortal Realms podcast, um, somebody who I got to meet at Adepticon a few years ago and was yes. an absolute gentleman and a scholar and had some of the coolest spiders in the Mortal Realms. <laughs> um they were awesome like your your display board was off the charts but we're not here to talk display boards we're here to talk path to glory it's something that is hidden behind this book mm -hmm. not the white dwarf but the core book and it's a cool system i mm -hmm. must admit i underappreciated path to glory when it very first came out because i had a bad experience or i wasn't that impressed with the old version mm -hmm. and Boy, oh boy, 3.0 has really made this a pretty cool system. And we'll dig into this during this, the discussion. But first, g'day, welcome. People who don't know the Mortal Realms Network, really, it's not just a podcast. You mm -hmm. are taking over the world. <laughs> who are you, Paul? Uh, my name is Paul, otherwise known as PJ Shard. Um, I am part of the Mortal Realms Podcast Network. We have the Mortal Realms Podcast. We do a lore-based AOS show. There's also What the Hex, uh, Underworlds, that's Davy and Phil. And then we also have the Dogs of War Cry paid cat podcast. Um, you know, and then we've got uh, Path of Story as well with me and Will, which is literally a Path of Glory podcast. Plus, we've got our Discord and um, we're hopefully running an event at Adepticon and like all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, we are trying to take over the world uh, one viewer at a time. So, <laughs> Well, well, like you, you have sent me the application for acquisition of this channel, so um, <laughs> we'll see if the offer is available and it's strong enough. But um, Path to Glory, yeah, I'm really mm -hmm. curious to talk to you about this system because I played Age of Sigmar old school. Actually, the book might have actually behind me. Mm -hmm. And I remember behind looking me. at Path to Glory <laughs> and it was like, like the old rules were a bit meh. Uh -huh. It was a bit like, I don't quite know what you were trying to do with it. And it kind of never caught me, I think. And and for most people, it didn't kind of catch them. Mm -hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, you saw some advancements through 40K and there, mm -hmm. I don't want to say, I don't want to say Armageddon because that's the grand scale events. It's the mm -hmm. Crusade. Crusade, yep. which was a much smaller game, story driven, Path yep. of Glory style. Mm hmm and boy, oh boy, I mentioned right at the top of the show, it's very impressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so to kind of give a summary for anybody that's kind of into Old Hammer, um, fifth edition of Hordes of Chaos had this system where you could pick beasts or you could pick warriors or you could pick demons. But what you did is you picked a warlord and then you picked a retinue for that warlord. So how many points your warlord was, that's how many points that you picked of that mortal, demon, or beast to follow you into battle. So AOS 1.0, AOS 2.0, Path to Glory is exactly that system. But instead of you picking, you would roll on a table, right? So it didn't give you this narrative flexibility. It kind of predetermined your narrative for you. And you had this little flow chart that you would roll on. And you would get these units. And the dice roll was the important thing. And the units that you got were determined by that dice roll. And there wasn't really a way of manipulating that without a, a massive conversation and a completely different way of playing the system. With AOS 3.0, the name stayed the same. The system is completely out the window. Like that's step one. Um, Path to Glory here now is a completely different system, far more reminiscent of the old Mordheim, far more reminiscent of just 
more of a role-playing style where you're not slotted into this path that you have to do. You're not slotted into damnation, slotted into chaos. You're slotted into you pick a warlord, which is going to be your hero, and then you fill out an order of battle based on that, which is basically just your army list. It allows a lot more customization and a lot more of, this is what I want to put on the table. We're going to give you the rules to be able to do that. Yeah, you know, to, to take that 50-foot view, because a lot of people may not have looked, maybe they haven't bought that core rule book, they didn't buy Dominion, and mm -hmm. they, they don't only have experience from the old, or maybe not no experience at all. Yep. You know, to take that high-level view of what Path to Glory is, it is no different to Age of Sigma. So when nope. you were playing, when you were playing your traditional match play 1000, 2000, whatever it might be, mm -hmm. you're still playing the game. Yes. And what's really interesting, Paul and I were talking before we went online is that all it is, is it's an ongoing narrative, whether it's with you in a full campaign with a bunch of friends or a bunch of opponents at your local game store, or you and your people come together and play on a day and you guys just battle it out. Mm -hmm. Or it could be something that's just for yourself and you are building a story and a narrative. You still stick to your 2K, but you are building an ongoing story. And mm -hmm. for me, that's really exciting given the, the breadth and the depth of the lore. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to bring up a picture because you mentioned something, Paul, that's a good a good kind of reminder to people. Yeah. And that is, you know, Games Workshop and Warhammer has really become competitive focused. Mm -hmm. I felt it in Age of Sigma especially. And I want to remind people that, you know, I'm an old beard. You know, look mm -hmm. at me. I'm an old man. <laughs> I played too. from like third edition onwards of, of Warhammer Fantasy Battles. And something that was consistent across the game were these ongoing campaigns. Mm -hmm. And they were narrative-driven stories about something happening in the Warhammer world. Yep. Paul, do you want to add anything to this before I continue? Because I'm really passionate and I love these, these boxes. Well, these boxes still exist um, is part of what you may be surprised by. Um, these battle boxes that are coming out, Ether War, um, if you're talking about... Um, the Stormcast versus Nurgle box, right? Like if you're talking about the Sylvaneth versus Grotz, like these are all narrative-based campaign boxes that give you the units and then they play you through a narrative campaign. Um, so they're actually one of my favorite little um, stories that we have right now. And they are genuinely these straight up narrative campaigns. And what I love about it is that as opposed to Dark Shadows, as opposed to, opposed to Idol of Gork, where they're like, we're going to give you the story and we're going to give you these units. If you don't have them, just kind of do something else. It not only gives you the story, it tells you which units to use and you know you have them because they come in the box, right? And not only is it, how do I start playing Warhammer, but how do I roll myself into this narrative that's happening, right? And especially because we're moving forward in this narrative, um, you're playing a specific moment in time. Dominion itself is a specific moment in time. It has its own campaign rules, has its own narrative supplement that comes with it. And I don't, I don't think this is something that people really appreciate because they just open it up and they look for the, the war scrolls and they're like, okay, I got everything. Look for the core rules. Okay, I got everything, right? And there's one more thing I'd like to point out is that when you read the core rules, right? You don't actually have match play in there because they put a battle pack on top of it. So when you got the general's handbook, you get your battle pack for playing in Gur, and this is what we're going to do for match play this year. Well, Path to Glory is just a battle pack on top of those core rules. 
right? Just how we're going to have that battle pack switch next year. GW said they're switching every year with this whole um, match play battle pack. Well, it's the same thing with Path to Glory. Everything that you know how to play Age of Sigmar minus that one battle pack is exactly what you do for Path to Glory, but you add on a couple extra rules to make it a little bit of a different game. But those core mechanics are all the same. You don't have to relearn the game. You don't have to relearn measuring distances or get different war scrolls. This is all the exact same thing. The biggest negative is just simply that you have to have the core rule book to be able to play it. That's the only negative uh, that I really see for Path to Glory. And it's something that might be, you know, just completely missed because people didn't mm -hmm. pick up that core rule book or they went straight to the match play rules. Exactly. I think for me, one of the things like one of the things that I really enjoy and what I love about the Path to Glory system is it's the things that I missed from a game called Mordheim. Um, yes. Necromunda has it as well. <laughs> you know, some of the other specialist games that Games Workshop have produced. Mm -hmm. It's always the question, what happens after the battle? So, mm -hmm. Paul, you and I are fighting and win or lose, whatever happens, characters die, get injured, mm -hmm. things happen. What happens? Is it is it just me recording the victory points? No, it's there's there are injuries, there is um, you know, getting gold, building territory, um, mm -hmm. some of the impacts of maybe stealing your territory. Potentially, we play like a fortress game and I actually try to attack your castle. Mm -hmm. And it's those types of outcomes that really can help kind of create a story and drive a story. And I love that because for me, one of those things is the slow grow element. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people, you know, if you're listening to this live, who might be thinking about New Year, New Army. They mm -hmm. might be thinking about starting off a box and they don't want to go to 2K immediately. Oh, they want to yeah. kind of play around with, you know, a hero and a couple of troops. They want to get yourself some monster and, and you know, they, they don't want to buy 2K immediately, but they want to be able to paint and play with their toys mm -hmm. before getting to 2K. Yeah. Path to Glory allows that. And I think oh, that's really exciting. Yeah, it, it, it really is. You know, we had this, um, what was it called? The thousand point um, system. Uh, in AOS 1.0, AOS 2, meeting engagement. We had meeting oh, engagement yes, yeah. as our kind of like intro system. And we had those battle boxes as you're getting into Warhammer. But now um, with Path to Glory, it is, it's both, right? Um, so that's what I love about it is that you can start at any points level. You can start wherever you want to. You don't need to have that full 2K army painted. Like you can add on, you can take away. It is the toolbox, right? Match play is very much like, all right, here we go. This is what we're doing. The only way that you change that toolbox is if you go to a tournament and they're like, we're going to change this thing. We're going to change this thing, right? Path to Glory is more of like, I'm going to throw out the spanner. I'm going to pick up a wrench, right? I'm going to throw out the screwdriver. I'm going to get my drill. That, that's exactly what we're talking about here when you can change those things and you can switch it up. And it allows you to use all those extra scenarios, all that extra content that you've already paid for that's sitting in all those other boxes, all those other books that you have, right? And and to me, that's exactly what the best part of it is, is it, it already makes use of the things you've already paid for. It's just yeah. a free system to be able to use. What I've really enjoyed as well is the um, alignment to the Soulbound um, RPG. Mm -hmm. So for anyone who likes to play Dungeons and Dragons or loves to play that kind of MMO kind of style of, you know, really getting deep into the mortal realms. And this was probably my struggle very early on to Age of Sigma. 
I was a Warhammer Fantasy guy and I had my map. I knew, you know, the Lizardmen were here. I knew Bretonia was here. I knew this was here and that was there. And Chaos was coming from the north and I knew the map. And when the Realmgate Wars very first came in Age of Sigma, it was a bit like airy fairy for me. I didn't Mm -hmm. quite find that grounding into the mortal realms. And one thing that I've really enjoyed that's Soulbound, but also other battle tomes, uh, the Nurgle battle tome recently has this amazing map of Gairan. But mm-hmm. I was able to kind of through the Soulbound campaign, they've got this really cool map of Akshi, you know, the Realm of Fire. And yep. it's much more detailed than this. This is just me zo- zooming in to find where my city was going to be. My Daughters of Cain were going to be based in Akshi. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could see where Hallow Heart was. I could see in relationship to Tempest Eye and Hammer Hall. And I could see these, these different things. And it asked me questions like, you know, what is this? Um, what, what's going on with that polychromatic sea? You know, what's mm-hmm. happening in the Kindling Forest? And how does my story kind of play a part? So for me, mm-hmm. it's given me a, a, an incredibly rich uh, enjoyment into the game that is equal to match play mm-hmm. and I can still do it. I can do both. Yeah, I can exactly. do my 2K points and still create a story. So they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah, that, that that's a, a wonderful addition that Sam has written into the system that the, the GW Rule Studio have done is that it doesn't require one or the other, right? You can play your full-on match play game. You can go play a full event, five games, six games, over a weekend and you can be building up your narrative. You can be building up your resources when you're playing path to glory at the same time, right? You, you can be playing a path to glory event while you are playing a match play event, playing against people who have no interest in playing path to glory or you and a friend came, but you don't want to play each other because you came from the same place and you both go and you play this five game, six game tournament. And at the end of the day, You've got six games under your belt. You've got glory. You can upgrade your stronghold. Perhaps you can like figure out some of those quests that you've done. And you have something to talk about other than did I win? Did I lose? And why? Right. And, and like, that's what I love that, that ride home after the tournament when you're talking about, okay, maybe this is what I'm going to do with my list, but all right, there's only so much you can talk about what you want to do with your list. Cause then you're like, okay, I got to buy this. I got to go replace that. Right. If you're like, okay, this is my story and this is what's happened with my character and where do I go from here? And you workshop that there's so many more things to talk about and so many different ways to be able to play that. And that's super yeah. awesome. And I love that I can, I can drive this narrative myself. So to give, to give you yes. know, a real tangible experience from myself, two years ago, it might be three years now, um, time is meaningless during COVID, but you know, <laughs> a couple of years ago in my last major event, well, my last CanCon, which is Australia's largest Age of Sigmar event. Isn't it um, the largest Age of Sigmar event in the world? That's what I heard. Well, give it a month's time and let's see what happens with LVO. <laughs> I think LVO might beat it three years later. It took, right. it took a global pandemic and three years to kind of cap it. <laughs> but um clint the to clint's an amazing you know not not only a great hobbyist but he's a great to and a narrative driven person he set the campaign or he set the um the tournament in the realm of gairan and he called it the jade kingdoms yep and i remember and like he had some story and there was some cool things in there but i took a personal challenge and people who've listened to my channel before might know this story that mm-hmm. i took a personal challenge with my army to say well right well what is going on in the jade kingdoms and what does my army have planned for this narrative. And at the time, this was a couple of months after Cities of Sigmar came out um, and I played Hallow Heart. 
So I thought, you know, well, what's, what's my story here? And I developed a, a narrative that this was an expedition um, into Gairan, given that um, Hello Heart is based in Akshi. And I wanted to go out and find artifacts. I wanted to find treasures. It was during the Soul Wars. So, you mm-hmm. know, I wanted to, wanted to essentially research on behalf of Hello Heart to help Sigma defeat Nagash and, you know, end the Soul Wars. Mm-hmm. And I still played my six games. I still played, you know, traditional match play, 2,000 points, battled whoever I was paired up with. But there was a, there was an interesting mechanic by having a story and the what the wins and the losses meant to me, and mm-hmm. you know what were, what were some of the stories like? I you know if I played against a KO, what was the reason we were fighting? You know, uh, my first game was against um, a gentleman called Seth, and he was playing Beast Claw Raiders Ogre Moor Tribes, and you know I could say, well, maybe it was an ambush. We've literally just rocked up into mm-hmm. the Mortal Realms, we've gotten into Gairan, and we've been immediately ambushed because they want to eat us. Mm-hmm. Like that's awesome, and I be- I beat Seth. Uh, and then I went to another game that I played, I think it was Skaven. So it could be that, you know, we were resting and, you know, mm-hmm. they've kind of like, again, they've kind of come for us and they, they thought we had Warpstone or something. But that was something that was in myself yeah. and I could do with myself. I didn't rely on somebody. And you'd be surprised how many people are interested in getting involved in your narrative. Oh, absolutely. It's one of those things where um, when... GW makes these models, right? They've always said they're a model company first, they're a rules company second, right? When they make these models, they all get together and they talk about what's going on and how it's actually going to work together. So when they make rules for, you know, the Cathalar, right? They're like, okay, well, the rules have to apply to the way that this model is sculpted. And those design decisions have been made because this sculpt is not a sculpt in isolation. This sculpt has been sculpted together with the rest of the Lumineth range. And this model has a specific purpose to play in that range, right? When you play in a match play event, you come and you play with these beautiful models. Uh, You've already assembled them. You've already painted, painted them, right? And you play with the rules, but you're missing that third leg of the hobby, which is the lore, right? The lore may not be the thing that you're like, okay, I'm super jazzed about that, right? But at the same time, that is why your army looks the way it does, right? That is still free content that is in that mm. battle tome that you bought. And Path to Glory really allows you to insert that third leg back into the game, right? And to be able to have that conversation. And for somebody who's a narrative soul like myself, this is something I've been doing fifth edition. I'm like, why are we doing this, right? Like, why are our two armies playing? Because when you play in a match play event, right? There's going to be first, second, third, right? Maybe fourth, fifth, sixth. If you're playing to do points for a national competition or whatever, right? Like you're going to worry about what's going on there. But you're playing a 100-man, a 200-man tournament, right? 200-person, excuse me. Um, At the end of the day, you're going to have three people in the top. Maybe we're going to call 10. 190 people aren't going to walk away with, with some kind of prize or some kind of like actual reward for playing but if you're playing path to glory you can insert that reward because that's kind of what i talk about anyway when i'm playing in tournaments and against almost every player that i've ever played about played with that's what they're talking about too right the 190 players you can still come away with something and we create those stories anyway we talk about our narrative we talk about where we're from we talk about where our army is everybody says my army's based in hammer hall my army's based in you know Hallow Heart, um and 
this is a way to give you that lens to move in, right? And one of my favorite things, I know it's money you don't have to spend. And I am fully accepting that it's money you don't have to spend. But I love the journal for Path to Glory for me personally, because it has a little part of the beginning that asks you just seven little questions. And you can write that down in the notebook. You don't have to buy the journal. You can just look at those questions and write them down. It says, all right, who am I playing against today? Who is this player? What is the name of their army? What is this army's general, right? Um, what scenario are we playing? It's just like a match play journal where you're keeping track of what you're playing, why you're playing. And it just adds a couple more questions to give you that context. And then once you have that, then all of a sudden you read that and you start to have more memories of what the game was, right? And you can use it for match play, absolutely. But it also just allows you to engage in that conversation. So at the end of the game, you don't walk away with a win or a loss. You walk away with a story and a win. You walk away with a story and a loss, right? And everybody wants to walk away with something. And Path to Glory gives you the ability to do that no matter who wins and who loses. Because, you know, this is a social game. You play it while you're talking to somebody online uh, during COVID. Hopefully, you know, in person when you're talking to somebody across the table, right? We play Warhammer because it is a social game. It's not a video game where you might be talking to someone you don't know. You might be talking to someone you do know. Like, that's the social interaction. It's the, sh it's the shared experience. And, and exactly. It's, it's, one of the, it's one of the key differences to us versus some of the other games. You know, I hear stories mm -hmm. about Magic the Gathering players. And I'm not rubbishing Magic players here. But no. I hear, I hear, you know, a, a very competitive Magic players will just listen to music and they'll play cards against an opponent and there's almost no interaction with that other person. Yeah, It's almost that it's very faceless. But for, mm -hmm. for me at a tournament, whether I'm at the top tables or I'm at the bottom or somewhere in the middle, it is a shared experience and I'm relying on my opponent. So if mm -hmm. we can come out there with a story and, you know, um, I've, seen, I've seen plenty of events where people have said, is this what your character would do? And, mm -hmm. you know, like there's, there's a lot of fun things to explore. And, you know, it's great that we've kind of started, you know, really getting into the nuts and bolts of Path to Glory. But I, I just want to kind of like, before we get into more of the weeds, I want to kind of just wrap it up and say, you can do this by yourself, whether you mm -hmm. are only playing at tournaments and you don't know anybody who's playing Path to Glory. Yeah. If you are trying to build a community at your local game store or people are buying some start collecting boxes for, new year new army or you can go as crazy as um and you know there's plenty of neos in the chat g'day guys you've also got places like um realms of war you've got mm -hmm. a whole bunch of your you're potentially running something at adepticon yep. there are narrative focused events where mm -hmm. you can go and and play with like-minded people and um I'm, i i did interview mitzi and jimbo about 12 to 18 months ago mm -hmm. um, about raw a narrow realms of war yeah and what they what i love that they do is they have this theme and um mm -hmm. i think one of their last ones was about the quest for athemy yeah it was really just focused on wizards you know brewing potions and if you brew the wrong potion during the game you become a potato wizard like literally yep. a potato um but uh, you know like it's like there was this it was two full days so five games or six games where mm -hmm. everyone was developing a narrative and you got Chuck Moore dressing up, up like Marathi. You've yep. got people dressing up like wizards, but, you know, kit bashing, converting, 
developing their own stories and their own narratives in this shared mm-hmm. experience. So no matter where you are on the spectrum, whether yep. you are just, you know, just telling your own story or you want to have something immersive with a community, mm-hmm. um, I'd highly recommend checking out Path to Glory. I think it's a mm-hmm. really good mechanic. Well, and and if this is something that sounds intimidating to you, which is which is fair, like there's a lot of thought that actually goes into um, like building up your narrative, creating this character, like creating a feel for your force, right? Go get a hold of one of those battle boxes or use the rules for the battle box you already bought, right? If you bought Ether War, play narrative campaign, but play through that narrative campaign with your order of battle, playing past to glory games. Then you roll that aftermath and then you already have a good idea for what's supposed to happen. You have a setting for where it's happening. And then you are able to start working on those mechanics and you get a feel for exactly how this game is supposed to work, right? And after three games, you've got a solid understanding of what's going on because all that you really add on is that you play slightly different scenarios. You can play match play if you want to, too, right? Um, But all that is is that aftermath sequence. And once you go through the aftermath sequence three times, you're going to know exactly what's going on and you're going to be able to say, okay, either I want to continue this story that I've already developed with my Aether War Force, right? Or I'm going to start telling my own story because I've been inspired and I understand how this system works now, right? But again, it's all using stuff you already have. And I want to pause you there for a minute because Nuno has made a really good comment. Um, Anyone who's been to my tournament, so I run an annual tournament, and I always reward like one or two points in the the battle pack Mm -hmm. for naming your characters mm-hmm. and i love and every tournament list even when i go to a grand tournament i will always name my characters and i'm not talking about alariel and marathi and those types of unique characters no that, that battle mage that that guy Ron battle mage your mm-hmm. little you know whatever whatever your general is whatever the little supporting troops are you know the the leader on a war shrine or whatever it might be is mm-hmm. what's their name Tay Raffi. If it's Tay Raffi, tell me it's Tay Raffi. How is this working? Right. You know, but I love as well. Like you can get these little, um, like uh, 3d printing companies do it. You can actually get little names to kind of print to go around the Mm -hmm. base as well. So you carry that story with you. And, um, and that kind of leads me nicely into what this, uh, um, this aftermath is because we've kind of talked about it a little bit that -hmm. people might not be familiar with it, but essentially, the aftermath sequence and you can give me more detail is once the battle's over what happens and you Mm -hmm. you generate glory points you can get injuries so your Mm -hmm. heroes can get injures injury and it has impacts to your next game or ongoing things yeah your roster grows so you can actually get more points and more troops Mm -hmm. um and probably the thing that i enjoy most is actually the quest and we were talking about this before we went online was that in match play, when I play a traditional tournament, it's about wins and losses. It's about mm-hmm. winning the battle, scoring more battle tactics, getting that grand strategy. That's it. Yep. But when you get into Pass to Glory, you also develop these things called quests. Mm-hmm. And they aren't necessarily tied to winning the game. It's in-game yep. decisions and actions that help mm-hmm. you achieve your quests. And yep. your quests will change over time. So once you've mm-hmm. achieved an, a quest, you can go for a different quest and you build strongholds and like, it's, it's so cool. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell maybe you're probably more familiar than I am, mm-hmm. but you want to tell me more about like, cause I think this is, this to me is why somebody would play part of the glory. Yeah. It's that continuation and that ongoing narrative from your battle. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, so you talked about battle strategies, right? Like you, you have your battle strat, your grand strategy that you use for your match play army, right? Your quests are your grand strategies for Path to Glory. That, that's just, that's it. It's completely simple. It's just actually you get to be able to complete these grand strategies over the course of multiple games, right? Even if you're losing, you can complete these grand strategies, right? Hey, um, I, I prepared this one earlier. This this is from the core rulebook. So there's a bunch of quests. Uh, exactly. And there's, there's more than just eight. I think there's, mm -hmm. there's a whole bunch of them. And what's been really cool Correct. as well is um, the white dwarfs have actually been expanding these as well. So absolutely, um, I think in every in every magazine they've had, you know, not only do you get, you know, match play rules for, you know, mm -hmm. battalions and, and grand strats, but they've also been expanding the path to glory stuff. I think this particular issue had a story and a campaign around Gur. No, not mm -hmm. Gur. Ulgu. Ulgu. I think it's in the realm of shadows in here. You're correct. So, um, yeah, I mean, so I think that's. Yeah. If you want to start with what you already have, right? There's your setting. There's your narrative, right? Um, the other thing that it does, it actually adds in territories. So uh, we're, we're getting into the weeds here. So let's just start off with um, what you call your army list in match play is what you call your order of battle in uh, Pathsigori, right? Um, so we've got a couple charts. Um, and one of them is the step three order of battle. So there's a little chart there, and it has a list of total units, um, hero units, monster units, etc. So these are some limitations that you have on your army. Um, and so the total units is something that's affected by how large an army you want to build for your order of battle. So they have a couple different sizes. They have Vanguard, Warband, Brigade, and Legion. It's just 600, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000, right? Um, and every time that you build an order of battle, then you're also to able to add some territories. And what these territories do is they allow you to bump up some of those limits, right? So if you're starting at the Vanguard of the Warband, which is that 600 or 1,000 point army list, you automatically get to add one territory. So if you're like, I want two monsters in my list, all right, you just add a territory and you get two monsters, right? If you're doing 1,500, you add two territories. Maybe you can do two monsters or a monster and a wizard, right? Um, and if you're doing the Legion, which is the 2,000 points, you automatically get three to start with. Um, and what that allows you to do is it allows you to, again, make your order of battle match your army and match what you want to do. And then here's the thing that's going to kind of maybe blow your mind is that your order of battle does not have to match your match play army, right? One of the that things... was I've been waiting to say that because <laughs> exactly. I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to make that separation. Is that mm -hmm. when you play traditional two thousand point Age of Sigma, you know that you've got to have X amount of battle line, and you've got up to Y. You know your hero slots are here to here. You're yep. allowed this many monsters, this many artillery. You you know you got four reinforcement points. The end. Like yep. it's very, very, you know, this is the sandbox you play in, play and do as long as you meet this criteria. Yep. But with Path to Glory, those restrictions are out the window. Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry about these things. And it's the strongholds that yep. you pick that will determine your limits. So if you want to go mm -hmm. all in on magic and you yep. want to have like a million wizards, then you just got to build around the strongholds and you know, develop develop what you want. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and that's the thing is that in Path to Glory, uh, you don't have to have battle line, right? That's not a requirement. There's nowhere in the rules you have to have battle line, right? But to kind of fill off that last thought, if you have a 2,000 play match point match play army, you don't have to have a 2,000 point 
order of battle for Path Glory. You can have a 600-point order of battle and say, all right, I've got a 2,000-point list, but only this 600 is actually my narrative portion of my force, right? I want to have the story to be my general or to be these two heroes and these two units, and those are the things that interest me, right? I don't want to worry about whether or not Nagash is going to go here and do something, right? I want to worry about this little necromancer, and I want to worry about these 30 skeletons. Um, because it is so flexible, you don't have to match everything perfectly. And it's a lot, you know, like, again, when we go back to the 200-point event, right? You you have a 2,000-point list. It might not be the best. You might have, you know, Joe Cryer. You might have Rob Symes. You might have, you know, Huey Lorgan. Uh, like, Laurie, Laurie, it's all right. You, you, exactly, you're creating right? like you're creating like what heaven might look like. You just like the Jack, obviously, some really ones would definitely be in there. Exactly, right? Like you may not be that player, right? You may not be the person who's like, I am shooting for the top and I'm going to win, right? But if you have, you know, four units that you're like, okay, well, I'm going to worry about this, and you're playing your fourth game and you've lost four or you've lost two, right? Like you can start living out that narrative. And you're not necessarily going to be throwing the whole game either. You're not taking all 2,000 points and being like, well, I'm going to worry that I don't like the way this is going. You can just say, these 600 points, those are my characters that I'm going to worry about right now. And I want to do something cool with them. And we're going to play this game. We're going to play a match play game. And I'm going to worry about what's going on with them too. And so that's one of the interesting things that you get to start with. Um, and these territories are not only do they allow you to get some mechanical value, but they also have a narrative value to your army. They are the different spaces in which your army has already conquered, right? So already you're creating your narrative. You start out with what's called a stronghold, which is basically your base of operations. And that stronghold is already expanded out to at least one territory. If you want to do a 2000 point order of battle, you've got three, right? These are the, the lands with which you draw your power and you draw your actual like troops and everything else. Um, and there's a couple of things that might be confusing here. I'm going to start off with number one, glory points. All right. So glory points are what your army earns in order to progress upon this narrative path. You can build a better stronghold. You can get more territories. You can repair uh, casualties. You can buy new units with glory points. There's also a second thing that seems super confusing unless you read through a couple of times called renown. So Renown is completely separate from glory and don't confuse the two because renown is actually your individual units, right? Your hero is gaining renown for what he's doing. That unit of 10 shadow warriors is gaining renown for their actions, right? But when you take these renowned warriors together, they are bringing glory to your stronghold. And because we have these two different mechanics, um, you're allowed to not only build up your army, but allow so to build up your actual units. And so your individual units get their own story, right? You can build up your heroes and they can get extra command abilities that you can use in Path to Glory games. You can build up your, you know, 10 Shadow Warriors and they get veteran abilities. You start to build this story of what's going on based on what you're already doing anyway, right? And it's just rolling on the table that helps you to, to get these different things or, you know, choosing it, right? Like there are definitely possibilities for being able to do both. Um, so the main mechanic that they have is you have your warlord, right? 
So this is a little bit different from match play because in match play, you have your general and your general determines all these other things, right? If your general has the human keyword, then that means flagellants are going to be battle line, right? If your general has the elf keyword, then perhaps shadow warriors are going to be battle line. Like all these things that they have these little different intricate ways in which building an army and match play works, right? That's not what happens in Path to Glory. In Path to Glory, you have your warlord and that determines what army you are building out of right but your warlord doesn't have to be on the battlefield or even in the game that you're playing right if you're really just like all right i want to build up this story and i have an idea for a really cool character right like my personal um character that i have for harkuron is called flens generoth and he is a harkuron pirate captain um his war scroll is not a match play war scroll but I tell you what, you don't need to field him in a match play game in order to have him be the warlord for your order of battle. You can build up the story of his army, you can build up the glory of his army, and you can build up the renown of his units without him being present, which is pretty good because he's basically a very cowardly um, and uh, very pompous individual at the same time. And you don't necessarily want him on the battlefield. But um, what I'm talking about is that you are able to start building up these stories and to be able to direct that narrative to say, this is where I want the story to go, right? So this is your protagonist. If you're writing a book, this is your protagonist. Um, and he is a, he must be a hero. All right. Um, so this hero is where everything kind of plays off of for where you get to buy your units and which army book that you're talking about, right? Then you build your starting units and that's your order of battle. That's your army list for match play. But we're talking about narrative here. So again, you can build 600, 1,500, 2,000, whatever you want to, right? Um, did you have anything to enter in here? Or are you just kind of playing I don't know. I, mean, just, I don't know. Like, <laughs> have you got a teleprompter, like in a script? Like, I, I, just to, just to quickly uh, pause you there and let you have a, a sip of water. Um, you know, Lance made a really good good comment, you know, about uh, himself and 11 friends playing in a second season. So um, that's the cool thing, right? You can have multiple seasons. You could have a 12-week kind of blitz. And, you know, you're all trying to see, you know, how you progress on a particular map and the types of strongholds. And, and then you might go into a second season, whether it is an expansion of the current army or you start something fresh and brand new, or you, or you, you, you play with the same army. You just construct it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love that. And then um, the dice cast has also made some really good comments around the fact that you know the random progression is quite fun. I really mm -hmm. enjoy the the strongholds and the random progression because it might not be the most synergistic things that your army expands nope. upon. But it's about how do I tell a story and through the heroic feats of my general or my troops or, you know, some randomness that happens in the game. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm telling a story that isn't about how optimized is my force within the restrictions. And the last point I really want to call out, it is much more friendly and collector focused. Mm -hmm. So if you've always wanted to go pick up, I don't know, three Doom Wheels. You're a Skaven player and you want to run through five. <laughs> you, you take that to a tournament, people are going, oh, it's not optimized. Yep. You know what? Who cares? If I want to have like Biker Mice from Mars, but in Doomwheel form, like, exactly. cool. 
tell my story, have fun with it. And mm-hmm. it allows me to play with some things that maybe I wouldn't normally take at a tournament yeah. and then develop a story and well, then and- progress the story that I can have like a, a biker mice from Mars hero on a doom wheel. Mm-hmm. That could be the general that I then have some like crazy lore about. Exactly. Well, and, and so I want to make a point here on what he's talking about in that is that this system is so robust. If you want to go back to that old Path to Glory content and those battle tomes that you already own and you want to use that random generator, go ahead. There is nothing to stop you from being able to do that, right? Because those are all units that are in your battle tome anyway to begin with. If you take your Warlord and then you roll up those units, all you have to do is make sure your territories match and you're good to go, right? Like you can do that as well if you want to. Um, Paul, so, I want to pause you before before yep. you get back into this. There's a really good comment and a really good question that I think has been raised because we've talked a lot about narrative. We've talked a lot about story. And mm-hmm. I talked a little bit about Soulbound as well. And I really love the expansion and the ongoing work that Soulbound RPG is doing. Uh-huh. And I, I can't speak for the entire Age of Sigmar community. And Blair's mentioned, you know, has anyone tried a campaign using Path to Glory and Soulbound? Mm-hmm. I think... I think you could absolutely, and I don't know if you know this personally, but I think mm-hmm. you could either be using between Path to Glory and Soulbound. You could mm-hmm. do Soulbound and Warhammer Quest and you know Cursed City and maybe have like an overarching yep. story there. You yeah. could wrap up all three. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of cool things you could do between the games that ties into an overall story and narrative. Do you have any comments or thoughts around combining things like Path to Glory and Soulbound? Well, so... Um... In the Gibbering Dome, which is a narrative event that I run for Adepticon, right? I wrote a short story for a character called Petrel the Thornborn. And I really liked the short story, but it was just kind of an introduction to let other players know this is how your character might end up in my narrative setting, right? The first place I played Petrel the Thornborn was in Soulbound. He became a character, and I was able to like roll him up and start playing in battles with him in Soulbound. And now in Path to Glory, He's my warlord for my living city army. And I'm furthering that exploration of that character. That's something I've already done and it totally works super easily, right? And especially if you're using human, if you're using elf or dwarden, right? There are progressions. We've gotten these progressions in the white dwarf and in the Stormcast battle tome and in the, the Cruel Boys battle tome of you have this basic character and then you need these many glory points to upgrade him from on foot to being on a griffin, right? To being on a vulture, whatever, right? But we can do that as well in Path to Glory and in Soulbound with, I have a human, my character died. Boom, he's a Stormcast. You know what? That works super well for Cities of Sigmar. You could easily make that work, right? And that's one of the things that I really love about Path to Glory as well is that there is some risk involved with playing your characters, playing your units in the game. Um, And what we have is we have this casualty and this injury system. Um, It is not super complicated. I'm going to throw that out there to begin with, right? It's not really the Mordheim system where you're like, okay, I need to take a negative one ballistic skill away. I need to take a negative one movement. And you end up with a Skaven that's got one movement and negative two weapon skill. You're just like, what the hell am I supposed to do? Yeah, I think my marksman had like injured his leg. And like, yeah, I think the other cool thing as well is that, you know, just because your general dies on the table doesn't Mm -hmm. mean they die, die. So, you know, I think that's probably like one concern people would have is like, oh, I can't like 
it's not as as crazy as that but there are mm-hmm. consequences and um yep. i love this ability to again tell a story and yeah um please go on uh, but before you do that i, I do want to call out levy um a hundred percent you know i feel that the path to glory gives you more opportunities for those crazy memorable moments in mm-hmm. warhammer and i think that that truly is i don't remember all of my tournament performances I don't mm-hmm. always remember everything, but it's those brilliant moments and those funny moments that I'll always remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's those stories that I continue to tell, not how did I go at, you know, a tournament six months ago. Mm-hmm. Well, and and one of the things that makes those great moments is consequences, right? If your hero dies in a match play game, who cares? Next match play game, he's at full health. Everything is fine. And we're just playing a game. Because that's the way that match play works, right? Even though we have this huge immersive lore and we have this huge immersive narrative, a match play event would not work if you were to be start switching out all of these units whenever they died. Because at the end of the game, right? At the end of the day, you would end up with somebody with nothing on the table and you would end up with somebody with like getting all kinds of extra points because nothing died. Right. And that's it. Like, you know, the powerful just continue to be more powerful. But I find that the path to glory system keeps you in the fight, but mm-hmm. it certainly does give you consequences. So yeah. the and I and I have found that in times in other different systems and, and competitions where, you know, if you win your first game or two, you just become super powerful. Yeah. And you find that like blood bowl, you get really you know, all the you know, the lion's share of your experience, and you know, you're lucky to avoid any injuries, you just keep getting mm-hmm. better and better. While the yeah. people who who didn't win are gonna mitigate their injuries and they're struggling just to keep swimming, let alone um, you know, to thrive. Well, and that's one of the interesting things about Path to Glory that it actually has baked in is that um so in our narrative campaign that we have going on, I'm playing against Will, um and he has a Stormcast army, and I'm playing with my Living City army, right? Like, my Living City army, I don't really care about the humans in my army because they're expendable, right? It's a city as a Sigmar, and I have my narrative is that they are all led by dryads of one sort or another. So the dryads don't care about the human lives as much because they're going to be able to pull those out again from the Living City. But he has Stormcast, and those Stormcast, every time one of those dies that reinforcement role is super crucial because his largest unit on the table is five. If you lose one or two of those, right, you have lost 20 to 40% of the unit effectiveness, right? But I have a unit of 20 great swords and it's a one in six roll. So if I lose four or five, right, that's going to hurt, but it's not all of my unit effectiveness because I can't even get all those models into combat against most of his units anyway, Right. So he's actually sacrificing combat effectiveness versus mine. But then you ask the question of, do I want to try and actually recuperate the injuries or am I invested in my narrative and I want those units to survive because I've already decided this is what this unit is and this is how it belongs to my army? Well, that's going to cost you. It actually Mm. is cheaper to let those units die and to get new units than it is to try and repair those units. But the trade-off again is... As you play with those units more and more often, they get veteran abilities. So they become better in game. But the better a unit becomes, the more you have to pay in glory to keep that unit. So the more games that you win, the more renown that you get for those units, you're penalized by the system because you have to pay more to keep them on the table. Whereas if I'm losing and I'm not getting that renown, 
well, fine, I'll just switch out this unit of 10 Shadow Warriors for another unit of 10 Shadow Warriors. It's going to be more effective, and it's going to cost me less glory. But if you've got veteran abilities and you've got a story invested, well, all of a sudden, that becomes a different kind of a uh, scenario. And and again, that's one of those little things that I really love about the way that this system works is that it asks you to pay for your narrative. It asks you to invest yourself in what's going on in the table. And it asks you to invest yourself more than one game at a time. It asks you to invest over and over. Like at this point, I'm on my third Path to Glory army because I've already played a Gloomspite Gits, I played a Harakiron, and now I'm playing Living City. And each one has been a completely different story and a completely different way of interacting with it, right? Um, and, it, and it really gives you the ability to do that. And when we have these expansions, when we have the Cities of Sigmar and the White Dwarf, when we have the Stormcast expansion in the Battle Tome, right? They give you different ideas. They give you different abilities, but they don't actually make it overpowered versus the other ones because it's not actually something where, you know, if if you're worried about um, the rules getting better as the rules designers understand the system that they're writing for, that's really not a thing that happens with Path to Glory because it's all about building your narrative, right? It's actually far much cheaper to just let that hero die and buy a new hero on a vulture. But then you've lost that story, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and all the heroic deeds that they've done. Exactly. And, and for me, I wanted to bring up this particular image because um, my some of my good friends um, are playing in their own um, Path to Glory campaign. And something that they've done is there's some really cool Dungeons and Dragons um, dungeon masters or game masters use these tools a lot where you can actually create your own map. Um, so this is the the Geist Hinterlands, I believe, in um, Shaiish. And and what they've done is using Dungeons and Ma Dungeons and Dragons like you know map generators have created bodies of water, have created little landmarks, have created mm -hmm. fortresses potentially as even starting fortresses, and. Um, if anyone has played in old Warhammer Fantasy, there used to be these hexagon-type map generators. I think even 40Ks had them as well. Yep. But, you know, for me, you know, fighting for territory, fighting for glory, you know, uh, I'm seeing my my world expand over, over time. And, you know, I might aspire to take over a particular fortress because, and I've seen this done really well, where people go, well, if you claim this particular fortress, you get plus one to your magic casting, or yep. you're able to, you're able to heal up more of your troops faster, or you could ignore this type of penalty. You know, for me, there is so much craziness in this particular world. And I'll show you just, you know, there are people out there who are creating wonderful tools. This is um, Ricky Smith on Kitbashed, and he's developed a whole bunch of Path to Glory campaigns with their own terrain rules and uh, quest cards and battalions. And this is a deep, deep narrative. I know there's a thing called the, called the Great Weave where mm -hmm. um, so many so people are creating really cool stories. Yeah, my, my co-host on Path to Story, Will, is super involved in the Great Weave. And we're actually, like, that's actually been part of what our fun conversations have been. Of like, this is what's going on, and this is how we're doing it. So we're actually playing in that narrative space for the Great Weave right now for our podcast. Um, we're building out that story. Uh, we're building out those areas. And as we're playing our games, that's helping Will to 
build out those territories. I'm not trying to take anything away from Will here. This is all in his mind. It's doing an amazing uh, job of creating this narrative space, right? But it's the exact same thing, right? Like as you play games, all of a sudden you come up with these different questions about why is my army doing this? Where is this going, right? And and for me, I'm playing my third army now. I'm playing a Dawnbringer Crusade. And so for the narrative, my Dawnbringer Crusade is supposed to lose most of the time right and so then you have to come up with a question of like well how do i lose over and over and over again and still make an interesting narrative because according to the lore 11 out of 12 dawnbringer crusades fail to establish a settlement and so we're finally getting to the point where i'm starting to win some games and we're like okay well how does this affect the narrative what does my character think about this right and you you can play this through in a soulbound game but you can also just use the actions that have actually happened in game to influence what your character's thinking in Path to Glory. You, you don't need all those extra rules and that extra ability to be able to create that system because Path to Glory gives you those narrative choices to begin with, right? Every time yeah. your character dies, you have to roll on an injury chart and you can pay a glory point to re-roll an injury if he dies, but do you want to re-roll that injury? Would it be more interesting if my character died and then something else happens, right? Like, and that's something you don't get in Soulbound. In Soulbound, because you're playing with this narrative system that is more balanced and intentionally more balanced, right? You're going to probably play the same character unless you make a stupid decision. In Path to Glory, you're playing Age of Sigmar. And as everyone knows, things die all the time because it's a war game and they're supposed to, right? Like, we made it to the first game that I played with my warlord and he died. And I was like, well, do I let him die? Right? Like, is that a question that I need to ask? Because after playing one session, now I need to understand what's going on and I need to make narrative choices based on that play. And wanna, it's just so wanna, exciting to me. And I wanted to another narrative point here is um, mm -hmm. there's a wonderful tool called Realm of Plastic. I think I might've talked about this in the past where, you know, they have name generators as well. So if you're thinking about, you know, and I want to ask you, Paul, in a minute, you know, about, about, you know, the importance of having a personal narrative and, you know, developing those types of things. But the easy way to get started, because I can imagine some people listening to this are probably overwhelmed. I don't know the Age of Sigma <laughs> lore enough. I don't understand the model realms enough. I don't understand, you know, the, you know, the, some of the stuff that you've just mentioned purely about the cities of Sigmar and the Dawnbringer Crusades and why the settlements are only currently here and why they're trying to expand and how mm -hmm. somebody gets reforged. And some of this is really daunting for some people. Absolutely. But the quickest and easiest way you could do is create a name for some of your characters. And yep. um, this is not a plug to Jamie from the Realm of Plastic. It is a wonderful tool, but it's not the only tool. But mm -hmm. in a matter of seconds, I could start to say, right, well, uh, I'm going to start my Daughters of Cain faction and my city, my initial start is called the Life Taker Spike. Yep. There you go. I've got my settlement. Uh, I'm going to start off with a, I don't know, a, a hag a hag queen on foot. I can go down to the, the Daughters of Cain particular um, character generator. Um, city of Sigma has like a name character and I'm going to go, cool, well, it's, I, I am based in Akshi, so there you go, straight mm -hmm. up. Oh, I don't like that name. Um, so, you know, just naming your characters and naming your units can just be a perfect example. Well, and and the thing is, right, like you rolled up that stronghold name and it's called the Life Taker Spike. Why is yes. it called the Life Taker Spike? 
you don't have to invest your lore into the Age of Sigmar narrative if you don't want to, right? Like, this is anything that you want to. I mean, like, Turnip 28 is a great example of we're just building our own little universe and this is what happens. And 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 that's the thing where it doesn't have to be married to the lore. It doesn't have to be married to anything else because it's your story. Who cares? If you care about making it your story, make it whatever story that you want to because it doesn't matter to anybody else. It matters to you. It matters to you expressing yourself. It matters to you telling this story to other people and they don't have to be invested in it to play path to glory they don't have to be invested in it to play against you and they don't have to be invested in it to play a match play game or anything else right this is yours right just like every single model that you buy from games workshop and you assemble and you paint that is your model that is nobody else's model and it's because you have done that that it becomes yours, not anything else. It's the same thing with the lore, right? And and speaking of assembling models, for me, I really enjoy converting. I really enjoy smashing bits together in ways that they weren't intended. And when I wrote that narrative for my character, Petrol Thornborn, I wanted to make a model that matched that narrative. So then I, I grabbed some bits from Empire Archers, and I grabbed a bit from my Marauder Horsemen, and then I grabbed a bit from a Vanguard Stormcast, and you smash them all together and you go, okay, this is my character now, right? Like, this is what I think is embodied by the story that I've told. Great. Go ahead and make that narrative, make that path to glory order of battle based on that character. See where it takes you, right? It doesn't matter if you've decided that this character has lasers and there are no lasers in Age of Sigmar. It doesn't matter if you've decided this is a lost Eldar Exodite from 40K. It doesn't matter. If that's what excites you, great. Do something that excites you. This just gives well, you the tools to be able to do that. Well, let me let me um, continue that by my personal narrative. So mm -hmm. um, I showed a little bit about my map. And if anyone who's seen my channel, you might have seen the um, uh, armies on parade board that I did only a couple of months ago, which was absolutely my stunning. So good. Was, so good. But it was my corrupted Daughters of Cain force. Mm -hmm. And I know when I shared it on, on the Facebook groups of Daughters of Cain, I triggered a few people because, you know, <laughs> I, I, tap, I tapped into a piece of lore and, you know, the, the kits one work perfectly, Slanesh and Daughters mm -hmm. of Cain. They work absolutely perfectly. And yep. in the lore, we know Marathi hates Slanesh. Like it's yep. just, you know, she got swallowed up. She burst out of Slanesh. She hates it. hates Slanesh now with a passion. But there was a piece of lore that I wanted to tap into from old, 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 old days where Slanesh and, um, and Marathi had actually an alliance and it was called the Dark Pact. Yep. And I wanted to really tell that story and inspired by um, Chuck Moore with his Tay Rathi, knowing that Britney Spears is a far superior pop star than <laughs> um, Taylor Swift, I went out there and developed my own shadow character to Marathi but mm -hmm. allowed me to develop my own um, slanish corruption. So, you know, I didn't have to trigger any, any Marathi fans out there, but I was able to tell a story about why, while Marathi was going to take on Anvil Guard and betray Sigmar to turn it into Harkuron, mm -hmm. there was a secondary force being developed in Akshi, which was this, you know, this, this alliance and how she would ascend to godhood was through an alliance with Slanesh to get additional power, thus mm -hmm. the, the cult of pleasure. 
Yep. So, you know, it was through that and, you know, that was kind of where I showed earlier the little map piece to go, right, well, you know, here's, here's Tempest Eye, here's Hallow Heart, here's Hammer Hall. This is where Sigmar's really focusing. But here's a little, here's a little force that my people are from that allows me to come in and help take over Harkuron, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, you know, like, like that, that's completely against the law, but it was my story and it created conversion opportunities, allows mm-hmm. people who ask me questions when I put the, the army on the table. And um, I got inspired by, I think it was Math Mello um, on Twitter, one of the UK guys, mm-hmm. and he had put his law and his army list on the same page. So for anyone who's interested yep. in stories and law, they could mm-hmm. read it. And if not, cool, the army list is still there. And yep. I think it was, was it Steve Herner might have had, um, it was like a gardening book. Like he mm-hmm. was doing a Sylphideth force with like a gardening book with his trees. And like, like there's some crazy fun things you can do with your force. Well, and, and this is the thing. This is my two cents. I, I'm going to put on my Mortal Realms hat where we're doing the lore-based podcast and say, this is what's amazing about Age of Sigmar that I missed from Warhammer Fantasy, Right. I love Warhammer Fantasy. It's got a great story. It's got, you know, it's got its own issues. It was developed in the 80s. And we can, you know, discuss that at any other point. But the the issue with the Warhammer Fantasy universe is that when you played these named characters, right, you had no place to play. Because this named character was the duke of this specific place in Bretonia. What if I want to put him in Kemri? Well, there's no place for him to be that because this is where he is. And this is what's going on with him right now. And if I'm playing, I'm playing right now. And right now he can't go to Kemri because he's in Bretonia, right? Same thing with Neferata, same thing with Nagash, same thing with all these other characters because the narrative did not move. We knew exactly where all of them were, right? And we knew exactly where they were supposed to be. And when you took your narrative, you could never actually do anything with those characters because they already were a place and you could make your own characters. But then if they were doing these great epic things, why are they not in this story that I've been hearing about for the past 25 years in age of Sigmar? It's such a different space because we have this moving narrative, right? At this point, we know for sure that it's been 200 years since the founding of the Seeds of Hope. But you know what? There was hundreds of years before the founding of Seeds of Hope after Sigmar came into the realms. So let's just, you know, give a round number of 400 years, right? In that 400 years, we know about 17 days in Marathi's life of what's actually happened, right? Those are the world-changing epochal events that are going on. But those other 400 days minus 17, you know, 400 years minus 17 days, we don't have anything about that. So, yeah, you might look at it and you say, oh, my narrative is completely against what's going on in the Age of Sigmar. But I would turn it back on you and say, it can't be. We have so many spaces to fill in, even with our named characters. Who's to say? They didn't take two weeks and went on a bender and were just like, you know what? Slanesh is going to give me this power and I'm going to go for that. But that story wasn't told. And that doesn't mean it's against the lore. It just means that it's something that didn't have enough of an impact to be included in the history of the realms. And, and that's amazing. Like, that's that's the cool space that we have. And it also allows your non-named characters to be epic and amazing and conquer all these places. Because even when we see these maps of the realms, 
They're one-tenth, one-one-hundredth of the space in the realms. So you can have this absolutely epic, wonderful character that absolutely destroys everything around him, and he's never even making a ripple close enough to actually reach anyone that's changing the realms. And that's great. Like That's, that's exactly the story you want to tell. And that's exactly well, the space also... you want to have to have that narrative. Well, Age of Sigma is also only ever focusing on what really one part of the world, right? Yep. You know, right now we're focusing on Gur. So mm -hmm. we're in the realm of beast, and that's where the battle pack is. Yep. But it's not like Shimon or or Hish have like come to a complete halt. No. So there's other parts too. And that's kind of where I really enjoyed Soulbound because they did this, they were the first detailed map of Akshi. And you know, mm -hmm. we heard a lot about Akshi at the start of Age of Sigma with the Realm Gate Wars mm -hmm. and you know, Corn and fighting back against chaos and all that good yeah. stuff. But we we haven't really focused on Akshi since that particular point. So it's almost like the question that I asked myself, and you know, I saw the Dyer's cast made a comment around, you know, named characters and equivalents. You know, my model is Marathi. The war mm -hmm. scroll that I'm using is Marathi. It's just that I've named it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. um, I've used the Marathi model to represent my particular hero, and I and, and it's fully legal in match play. So no, nobody is going to have issues with me putting this model on the table. It's just how mm -hmm. I represent it. But the, the lore and the canon that I've created is completely up to me. And, you know, if someone's interested in my lore, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. If not, cool, I'm still going to go only take three damage off you as Marathi goes with Heartrender. Like exactly. Well, and and that's the thing is, I really wish that I had that generic character. Guess what? Path to Glory is that space to have that generic character, right? If you're like, look, this is my character and she's named this, but she's, you know, she's playing the same rules or the same idea, or even look. I, I want her to have this different rule, right? Like, this is the social contract. You rock up to the table and you say, hey, I want to play an Anvil of Apotheosis character. Hey, I want to play Marathi, but I'm going to give her a different name and I'm going to switch out this rule, right? It's a social contract where you talk with that person and say, is this something you're willing to do? If it's no, then fine. You play with the rules of Marathi. If it's yes, you have opened the conversation to everything that you want to do and you create that narrative between you and your opponent and you're no longer you and your opponent right you are storytellers playing a story and the way that you're workshopping that story is on the table and then when you get done you have even more to talk about right like especially in covid right especially when people are having to stay at home especially when people aren't getting in-person games this is exactly what is perfect for Age of Sigmar because not only can you go and get models, not only can you assemble them, not only can you convert them, not only can you paint them, then you can make up stories, then you can make a background, and then that background can have an impact on the games that you play. It allows you to expand even further upon Age of Sigmar without having or being able to go and interact in person. And especially when we got TTS, that's not even that much of a limitation either, right? And that was going to be something I was going to mention is that, you know, in my Discord, there is a really cool Path to Glory campaign being run mm -hmm. through Tabletop Simulator. So if you don't have that community who plays um, Path to Glory or is not interested in, in joining your Path to Glory campaign, and you're not that interested in developing your own lore and going to tournaments and trying to play with yourself, there is communities out there, and I know you know you you mentioned the gibbering dome, and there are there are always things that are happening throughout the year. So whether it's in real life or on tabletop simulator, 
there are communities like you and you can find them, which kind of leads me to, I, I want to get into the weeds a little bit on maybe some of the practicality, right? Like let's imagine mm -hmm. that I don't want to just play with myself. You know, yep. I don't want to go to tournaments. I want to get a group of like-minded people who are going to play uh, like Lance was talking earlier, a couple of people who, who come together on a Thursday night and we, we play a story for X amount of time. Mm -hmm. How many players would you recommend or what's a good starting number minimum to mm -hmm. get a campaign kind of off the ground? So um, I'm playing in a campaign right now uh, where I've played games against a couple of people, but it's basically Will and I trying to make this story, right? I've played against Paven. I've played against a couple other local players in our Warhammer store. Um, but you can play with two. If you are both on the same page of what you want out of the game and, and what you are willing to give to the other player as far as like, this is what's going on and hey, I want this to happen and how do we make that happen, right? You can do that with two. You can do that with 12. You can do that with 14. I mean, if you've got four players, right? If, if you have four players who are like-minded and all want to play it, right? At that point, you've got potentially three games in between each encounter with that individual where they get to build up that story. They get to build up that narrative. And ideally, right, what you want is you want to rock up to the table and you want to start talking about what has happened. Like, I want to tell you the story of what has happened to my force since the last time that is that they have fought you. I want to tell you the story of how I have changed since the last time that we've encountered each other, right? And four is enough to give you, you know, if you're playing every week, that gives you three weeks to workshop that, right? That gives you three weeks to figure out how this is going to interact and why I care about whether or not I'm playing another game against you, right? Um, I'm, I'm immensely fortunate to have somebody like Will where we talk when we're not playing, we talk when we are playing, and we're talking about what kind of a story we're trying to tell and how do we allow the rules to make that happen? And and how do we allow, how do we use the rules to be able to tell that story in a more effective way? Right. Um, so it it's a it really is who are you playing with and how like-minded are you and how does that work? Right. If you're somebody who wants to also play tournament prep games, you're gonna need more players in that group, right? Because they're not gonna want to play a Path to Glory game every game. And that's totally fine too. You don't have to play Path to Glory every game. Um, you can play a match play list, or you can, like I said, have a 2,000 point match play list and you have a 600 point order of battle where you're building up that glory and telling that story in a different way. And and that totally works as well. I mean, you could have two players playing two 2,000 point match play tournament hardened lists with two 600 point order of battles within those lists. And you're playing to see who won the game and then all right i figured out that i'm going to win now what happens to these 600 points of our narrative storytelling and how are we going to tell that story moving forward yeah i like it i think yeah i know a lot of people are looking at this as a independent system i think mm -hmm. it depends on i think we've kind of reinforced the point well if you want to play your 2000 points and have a subset of that 2000 points that's awesome do that for mm -hmm. many people, I think it, the question comes like, how often can you meet? Um, how much how much diversity and spice do you want? You know, are you going to get sick of playing the same person over and over and over again? Mm -hmm. Four four is probably a minimum that I would strive for. Certainly, you know, any more than that. But you also don't want to be too big. 
The minute mm-hmm. it starts becoming too big, your story gets too stretched, it gets diluted, and it's mm-hmm. hard to have like these overarching narratives. So, you know, I, I think you know, twelve might be uh, somewhere somewhere between eight to twelve is probably the the cap that I would have, unless you're like super committed and and dedicated to the mm-hmm. path to glory system. Yeah, well, and and the nice thing about this system is that if you have a player that drops out, it doesn't ruin the campaign, right? If you're playing a map-based campaign, if you're playing any of these things, if you have one player drop out and you're like, okay, this is a round-robin narrative game, well, all right, well, we're kind of screwed and we need to rearrange our narrative to make that person go away. But in the Path of Glory, because you're telling your narrative and how that narrative weaves into other people's narrative, it doesn't ruin everything. Like Travis Griffin, right? He's in the chat. Um, I played a Path to Glory game against him with my Harkiron. And sadly, he's no longer a local. He got a great job, bought a house. All kinds of amazing things are happening to him personally. And he's still doing an amazing hobby, right? But I'm never going to be able to play another Path to Glory at my local game store with him. My Path to Glory isn't ruined. Because it doesn't Mm. depend on only playing with Travis and making sure that I get these games in. And, oh, he had territories that we need to figure out what to do with those territories now. I was waiting for the perfect time to bring up Keegan's point, which was exactly that. You know, maybe you don't start your Path to Glory campaign with the map. As cool as the map was, you yep. know, starting off with a map, if someone drops out or they lose the interest or life just comes in the way, um, you know, then you might find some difficulty. Obviously, you know, then you can kind of like remove them or whatever it might be, but mm-hmm. I'm sure they would at least like to like lose their territory as opposed to just, you know, removing them from the game completely. But you know, keep that in mind. And I think what's really cool as well is you're right. People can jump in and jump out. It's easy to go, right, well, currently people are around 700, 800 points or X amount of renown. Build an army list and you can jump in at around a similar level or, you know, build an army with like five territories and not three. And you can have two on two games, two versus yep. one games. You exactly. know, you could have, you could have like, um, you know, someone who's growing really dominant in the in the campaign well, you and I are going to ally against this person to kind of take them down a peg. Yeah. And, you know, in match play, you go, oh, I'm, you know, I'm down a thousand points. You know, this is not fair. That's the whole point. The yes. whole point of it is to have, to tell that story. And um, yep. like, there's a lot of cool things that can come off this. And I think, I'm hoping, I guess, if, you, if you're listening to this, you are inspired to at least, if nothing more, explore the story. Mm-hmm. Whether you use the path to glory system, whether you just have create create your own little narrative and that's what you take to tournaments, or it's simply just putting some names on your um, your war scroll builder and naming your heroes. Um, and there's so many cool places like you guys, the Mortal Realms podcast, like you know Two Plus Tough and Cinderpore Gaming, uh, and, you know exploring the lore. There are a lot of places out there, and I've been really enjoying the audio books and you know getting an Amazon Prime and just getting like Audible and you know, downloading and listening to books and, um, you know, it, it, it then kind of sparks the question and go, well, what does this mean? And, you know, I've gotten a new appreciation recently for Gardas. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like like listening to Gardas, you're like, okay, cool. Like he's a bit of a badass. And, mm-hmm. you know, that might spark a, an, an idea or, you know, I listened to another, I can't remember which which, which the audio books it was, but, you know, hearing how, um, 
Manfred acts, you know, he's very, very much like, you know, Manfred, you know, you think he's a mortar, he just listens to to Nagash, but actually, you know, he'll betray Nagash the minute he possibly can. Or exactly listening to the the is it the Lord not the Lord of the Flies, the um the, the, the order order order, order of the, the fly. fly. Yep. The night oh, the night so good. Which yeah. which sounds more like a Bretonian chival. The, the yep. Nurgle knights are chivalrous and they are virtuous things that you yep. would never kind of associate with Nurgle. Mm-hmm. But then I think I jumped on Twitter immediately, like you know, tell mm-hmm. me a story, write some war scrolls, and um, I think there's just so much unexplored goodness through Age of Sigmar and through the mortal realms and through the mm-hmm. books and. If nothing more, go back to your battle time and read those first 20, 30, 40 pages yep. of wonderful lore and potentially Path to Glory stuff that you may have just skipped to go mm-hmm. straight to your War Scrolls, your battalions, and your points. Yeah. So on a personal thing, if you really like the Order of the Fly, you need to listen to Nagash the Undying King because they're in the Nagash the Undying King as well. But again, if this is something that sounds intimidating to you because you're like, I can't absorb all this information. I don't have time to read all these books, right? Number one, I got to put a plug in for our podcast, Mortal Realms, and say, come and listen to the lore, right? If you don't have time to read the book, come and listen to the lore. Go listen to 2 Plus Tough. He does such a great like breakdown of all the basics of what's going on. You do have these resources online that really allow you to, um, to absorb that without having to put in a, a huge investment in time. But at the same time, like I'm going to reiterate, go get that battle box. Go get that Dominion play through the scenarios that are in those boxes and you can play path of glory you can play age of sigmar you can play narrative gaming and it's not that hard you don't have to do anything but just read the rules and play through and and i i think once you play narrative it just creates a completely different way of looking at it so even if you only play you know that battle box and you play those three scenarios and then you go back to playing match play for again right all of a sudden you have this extra tool in your toolbox. You're playing in a tournament game and you're like, no, actually I can talk to you a little bit about the narrative of what's going on here. Right? Like I can talk to you a little bit about, Oh, actually I I, I did play some smaller games and it was kind of cool because this happened, right? The more experiences that you have playing in age of Sigmar, the more that you understand that it's a little bit of a different system, the more that you have tools in your toolbox to be able to have that social interaction and to have that social agreement with the other player and to play the game that you're both going to love as opposed to just playing the same game over and over again. I know you talked about Magic the Gathering before, but I've played games of Age of Sigmar where I'm sitting across the table from somebody else and they're playing their own game. And the only effect I'm having on their game is when I move my units, they have to decide what they're doing with their army again, right? And mm. and And that's... You know, that's not necessarily something that's a wonderful experience, but it's also not the most terrible experience. That's part of playing the game, right? Like this is part of the strategy. And if you're somebody who thinks you might be that person or like you just want to like enjoy the game a little bit more or just look at it from a different perspective, I definitely encourage you to play Path to Glory. Something you already have the rules for. If you bought Dominion, if you already have the core book, it's a free thing. Just go and explore a little bit. Have fun with those units that are no longer good in the meta, with the units that you love the look of, but they don't fit into your army list. Like, that is exactly what Path to Glory is fantastic for. One thing I want to comment, because um, Teutonic Craft Studios has made a really good comment and a nice segue, something that I wanted to talk about. 
And that was campaigns. You know, mm-hmm. you create a campaign, you've got a great idea, you're going to, um, I don't know, something specific about Gurr and, you know, you're going to go, um, I don't know, Kragnos is absolutely gone crazy right now. He's got his new war scroll and we want to find out what's happened and, you know, what what was happening in the Beast Grave, for example, the Beast Grave mm-hmm. Mountain and, you know, has he done, is, is there anything else that we can learn about Kragnos before he starts, you know, stomping all of the dragons, right? Like this, that's, my, that's my little narrative. Got a bunch of players. They're all super keen. We start playing. And then what the comment is, is that how do you keep the momentum alive? Because I can imagine you talked about your friend who trying to drop off and, and life comes up in the way. Christmas comes along. Work comes mm-hmm. along. Kid comes along. How do you keep your players playing? Mm-hmm. It's easy when you're at a tournament, right? You're, you're mm-hmm. Or you're easy when you dedicate a day or two to play Warhammer. We're all at the location. We've committed to, to, the, to the event. Mm-hmm. And things like Realms of War, for example, or what you, uh, I can't remember who, you know, like the, the the Neos that do it at like Nova and things like that. You're at Nova, you're playing the tournament. Mm-hmm. But when I'm asked to go to my local game store on a Wednesday night, how do you keep the momentum, the excitement alive mm-hmm. after those first few weeks when life really starts coming in the way? Well, I think part of it is that you need to accept that when you're playing over the course of a bunch of weeks that some people are going to drop out. doesn't matter if you're playing match play. doesn't matter if you have a gaming club. doesn't matter what happens. Life happens and stuff happens, right? Like people are going to drop out and that's fine, right? Like you can't control everybody. You can't control everything, right? But what you have to do, I think personally, and, and which is what Will, <laughs> my partner on the podcast, is doing really, really well, is he's creating this narrative, ex- this narrative space that allows you to hook into an idea and then you want to play out that idea, right? And then when you tire of that idea, I want to hook into this another idea and I want to play out that idea, right? Whether that be because you give a piece of lore and you send it out to every member of the group and say, all right, this is what we're doing today, right? Like, and especially with because Age of Sigmar is such a moving narrative, right? You don't have to just play in Gur in you know specifically i'm gonna play an excelsis all right so we're gonna do a 12-week campaign and we're gonna play an excelsis all right well that's cool and that's interesting and there's a lot of narrative space to be able to explore an excelsis but you know what would be probably a little bit more engaging is all right so we're gonna play a 12-week campaign week one we're playing an excelsis week two we're gonna start moving out right we're gonna play on the docks of excelsis week three we're going to start moving onto the coast of Tusks and we're going to start exploring these different things, right? Week four, I actually read the, you know, the Silver Shard and we've got all this other background and you start feeding these narrative crumbs, right? When you're playing in your games, you have your protagonist, you have your chapters with these quests, right? But you need that plot that moves forward because you are telling a narrative. And if you move that plot forward, then all of a sudden those consequences have actions. Okay, my character died. My character died on the docks of Excelsis. Now how do I get my next character? Or my character died on a ship on the way to Misthaven. Well, where am I supposed to get a hero from? I guess I have to take one of my other units from my Path to Glory army, right? Have that discussion. Create a space where you can discuss that narrative and people together can give feedback and help people to stay engaged in the games, right? 
That is the key. And I think the mm-hmm. other part to that, Paul, is to not get too far ahead and you lose people along the way. You exactly. Know, if, if somebody drops out for a week or two and the story mm-hmm. is progressing, don't just leave them and like try to let them catch up because then it becomes too hard. Yep. It is about, well, you know, what can we do to bring you back into the fold? Is there mm-hmm. a ship that kind of gets you back into the, the new landscape? Yep. Is there some divine intervention or some type of thing that can get you back? And, mm-hmm. yeah, you might not have all the boosts that everyone who committed to playing the game and the renown and the glory points, but certainly mm-hmm. you're not leaving them behind. I think that's the risk. And, yeah. um, you know, and, and, you know, Keegan makes a good comment. And, I, I look, I really like maps because, mm-hmm. for me, it's a grounding and allows me to tell a story. I can create bonuses. I can do little things. You know, I, I was developing a narrative campaign. Unfortunately, COVID kind of um, cut my event off. But something I was going to do was, um, you know, with the Azerite Ruin kit, you get those little tre- uh, treasure um, boxes. Chests. Yep. I was going to, I was going, I was going to paint a heap of those treasure chests, put them on my tables at, for the event, and then there would be a random table that could generate particular artifacts or gold mm-hmm. that myself, as the NPC or the the non playable character, could could jump in and intervene and sell artifacts and pay for bribes and for do things. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that's probably one thing people don't know is that in very early Warhammer fantasy, which was first edition, second edition, and even third edition, they used mm-hmm. to have three players, you know, yep. two players plus a game master. Mm-hmm. And the game master acted like the dungeon master or the game master who would manipulate the environment. They would essentially be God. Yep. So you could do some pretty crazy things with, with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you might create some divine boosts and interventions to get that person again back in the game. So well, and, um, and again, this is a really good difference between match play and narrative and path to glory. Right? Is that in match play you do have a god, you do have a GM. That's the tournament organizer. He tells you where you are playing. He tells you when you are playing. He tells you what rules you must play by. Right? And one of the brilliant things about path to glory is that it allows you to have that gm it allows you to say this is where the story is going to go but your gm cannot make the player do anything right because you're telling your own story the rules do not allow the gm to tell you whether or not your character is going to die the rules do not allow the gm to tell you which units have to be left behind because those are all your choices right and when you know you listen to the Mitzi and Jimbo show, when you listen to um, the Eat Bats uh, podcast, um, Jimbo really talks about being a co-player as opposed to being an opponent, right? And Path to Glory is the epitome of co-players, right? You are writing this story, you are telling this narrative, but you are co-players on this raft that is going down the river. And because it's made in such a clever way, that allows you to get off and go explore something else and come back, right? It, it doesn't allow one player to dominate everything. And because of the stronghold mechanic, where you have to build up these strongholds and every player has to have the same level of stronghold when you play, it also means that you can't have this complete runaway where somebody's just going to be bashing everybody against the, the rocks every single time that they play. Because it doesn't allow you to get that far ahead, right? You can't. You can't. Like, there's, there's no way. Like, you can get a little bit ahead, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's not a lot. So yeah. Um, well, and because of the way that it's set up, right? 
every single game that you play is that social conversation. And if you're like, look, your 1500 point list just batters mine. But you know what? Out of the 1500 points, I think we can make some decent 700 point matches or we can tell a good story with these two 700 point forces. You're already having that conversation to begin with because that's what Path to Glory is about. Every time you rock up to the table, you're having a conversation with your opponent about what kind of a game that you want to play. Who is your general? What is the name of your army? What are we trying to accomplish, right? And it isn't just matched play. It is a joining of that narrative, right? Reminds me of Total War when, you know, I build my force out. <laughs> Will's in the chat. He, he, yep. he knows your secrets. You've been talking a lot of smack, and he's he's, he's going he's gonna to give me all the inside secrets about you four. But, like, when I play Total War Warhammer, you know, you build up your force so much, right? And I get experienced handgunners, experienced flagellants. I'm like, I don't want to dump them because I now have access to demigriff knights and things, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, but what end up, ends up happening is you get a splinter force where you now have two generals leading two armies. Mm -hmm. And there's absolutely no reason that that couldn't happen right if, if somebody does yep. get a runaway you go cool well now you have two generals you're going to split out your force and now you're even or you're approximately even with everybody else mm -hmm. but you've now got two competing armies and again there's just so much storytelling and wonderfulness that um and, and we mentioned the two the two-on-one games you know you yep. could have shared quests you could have some backstabbing like i've, I've played games where there actually has been a a two-on-two but yep. then there's been a little bit of a manipulation and an alliance, and it becomes three on one. Yep. Well, but there's nothing stopping you from doing that. I think it was, um, was it? I think it was uh, Realms at War. They've actually mm -hmm. got their tables connected, right? So yep. you know, when you go to a tournament, normally there's table separation, but mm -hmm. uh, I think even Nova might have had it, and there were tables connected to each other so there was actually no gap mm -hmm. and i remember i think it was mitzi and jimbo were telling me or maybe it was somebody else is that they did that on purpose because yes in my mind you know it's a six by four or now a you know and our table size has now changed mm -hmm. but no one has actually created the hard line to say that my force can't nope. move onto the table to the person next to me and then yeah. start fighting on their behalf yeah. Nothing's stopping me. And it's that limitation, removal of limitation, yeah. again, leads into crazy stories. I think even Realm Gate Wars, I think they had some Realm Gates that teleported you literally to other tables. Yep, they did. And they, like, they said, hey, I'll give you five of this in-game currency if you let me go and ambush with this unit under the other table. Yeah, absolutely, right? Um, and, and the other thing is that, like, even if you're playing the lowest level game, if you're playing a 600-point game, right? You play two 600-point games, you get absolutely destroyed, everything is gone, right? You still have 10 glory points. And with 10 glory points, you can buy an unlimited-sized unit, 401 plus. So if you're like, okay, well, what I have isn't working, I really need to have something else, you play two games, no matter what, you have enough glory to go and buy whatever you want for your army list and throw it on the table, right? Like, And, and again that's the beauty of the system is that it stops people from trying to mess with stuff too much because it allows everybody to have the ability to switch everything. And it gives you enough glory to be able to make those changes and create that experience. And, and that that's, that's what I love about it. And, and the other thing that I love about it, and I know this is going to trigger a lot of people, but I love that you can play unfair games because yeah. unfair games are where you get those wonderful stories, right? Right. 
nobody remembers the stories where you're playing with Archeon versus Nagash and Archeon one or Nagash one, right? Th they should be pretty evenly matched. They're both functionally gods in the mortal realms. Of course, it's going to be a good story. You know, like that's going to be a normal outcome. Can but I, you have that. Can I just pause you there as well? Yep. You can't really play those either. So in Path to Glory, no. it's probably something we didn't really acknowledge that these gods don't exist. Yeah. They're not about your named characters. And you can, obviously you can add them, right? I'm not here to yep. say no, you can't add Archeon or Nagash. Mm -hmm. But you're playing in battles that are so small or, you know, it's it's all about the customization of a hero that these named characters don't exist. So mm -hmm. um, you, you leave your gods at home and it allows you to explore something completely different. Exactly. Right. And if you want to bring Archeon, okay, you can bring Archeon. I get a thousand points against him because you get nothing else. Right? Like, because that's, that's theoretically okay. But also, you don't get to tell his story. And again, this is one of those brilliant things. You can bring a named character, but you don't get to tell his story. He can't take injuries. He can't mm -hmm. gain abilities. Right? He is who he is, and nothing you do can change that. And again, Path to Glory is about telling your story. Right? But I mean, so so t tell me about stories, right? Because one thing that I think we haven't mentioned yet mm -hmm. is the battle report element. Yeah, and I think I think there's a wonderful opportunity not just to go through the is it the aftermath or the after effects? Yep, the aftermath phase. But you've yeah. also, but then you've also got the ability to tell stories and actually document it through battle reports, whether it is mm -hmm. blogs, whether it is photo journals, whether yep. it is. Um, you know, sharing a, a little, a little like synopsis overview mm -hmm. in a Discord server, or you know, like with your, your little competitive, like come together and everyone chats on a Monday. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on battle reports? And um, you know, would you even, if you were going to run the campaign, would you incentivize people to you know, maybe a little bit extra glory or something uh, mm -hmm. to, to to develop those types of battle reports? Well, um, number one, I obviously really enjoy that idea because that's what the podcast is about. We tell the story, and then in the aftermath phase, we're telling that conversation of what happened and how we're moving forward, and like that's something that Will and I really enjoy doing together. And one of the one of the great things is that you're supposed to do this aftermath phase together. So you play a game of Warhammer, and then together you say, "Okay, this unit did this. This unit did that." Um, our local game store uh, manager, Vint, has a really cool little twist that's not in the rules, but I, I really enjoy, and we started using it in our games which is that you're allowed to pick an MVP out of your army every time that you play a game, right? You lose, you win, doesn't matter. You are allowed to pick an MVP and that MVP gets D6 Renown. Which Most is super... valuable player for, for any of the non-sports non, non fans there. Exactly, which is really cool because that means that you can take any unit on the table. If you roll a six, they become a veteran unit, right? If it's a hero... Well, they're on their path, right? But like you can take any normal non-hero unit and they automatically become a veteran if you roll a six, right? And that's super cool and super interesting, even if you've lost the game. But the rule that Vince come up with that I really like is that you actually ask your opponent, I need you to decide who my MVP in this battle was, right? Like and it. you're telling that story together. And then you have that discussion of why were they my MVP? What did they do which was so cool? How do we play that out, right? And you're playing your game and then you're telling your story together and then you're both on the same page as to what happened and how this is moving forward, right? Um, would I incentivize this in a campaign? Absolutely, right? Like that's the product of the tabletop. 
is that story, right? I want to know what happened because something happens to your army. It's not a match play game where you just rock up with the exact same army five minutes later, right? No, something has changed. Somebody has taken a casualty. Somebody has gained a veteran ability. Somebody has gained a command ability. Like you have these little landmarks and you have these character progressions that allow you to add to your character story. Like when you're playing these quests, you add a spell, you add an endless spell, you um, you can gain artifacts. Um, one of the territories we rolled up, one of the games we just played um, was a storm vault. So that's one of the Cities of Sigmar specific territories that you can roll. And you can start sending your heroes in to go and search for artifacts. And then on a dice roll, cool things happen. And, and again, that's kind of the cool thing too, because it also adds to a narrative. If you just played a battle and then you roll up your territory and your territory is something cool, well, how did that territory end up being the result of that battle? Mm. Let's tell that story together, right? Like you're, what you're doing when you're playing these games functionally is you're adding details to your story. And then you and your co-player tell that story together of how these details fit in. And then you go and figure out how that affects your army and how your story is moving forward. And especially when you've got other people that are passionate about playing the game together and you engage them in this moving plot, you have an awesome, amazing story that you get to tell together, right? What's the thing that happens every time you go to a tournament? You sit at a table and you say, this is what happened in my game, right? You're telling your story of your match play game. And if I would have just rolled this dice better, if I would have just used this command ability at the right time, if I just would have remembered this rule, it would have gone a different way, right? Path to Glory allows you and gives you the impetus to tell a story that is always going to be what you wanted that story to be because that's exactly what it gives you. It gives you those details. It gives you that plot. And instead of necessarily telling your own story, you get to tell this wonderful narrative, narratively crafted, engaging plot of what happened in this awesome moment that you have. And you didn't do that yourself. You did that with other people. And that's the only thing to me that's missing from match play is that continuing narrative, that continuing engagement. Why do I care that I'm playing you again? I care because I love playing you as a player. I, I enjoy you as a friend. I enjoy you as somebody who plays Age of Sigmar. I love the way that you paint your army, right? But when I played at Adepticon in the, the championships in 2019, I literally did this. I didn't have the chart. I didn't have the aftermath phase. But I went through and was like, what can I do to most make the most epic stand? All right, I'm rocking up to the table. This is my narrative. This is my lore. This is what's going on. And you know what? I lost five games and I had an absolutely amazing time. I didn't care because from moment one, I'm engaged in the narrative for the other player. Moment one, we're telling this story together. One of my favorite moments in that game was I had one little stupid uh, Caradron Overlord um, Arcanaut that took down a freaking Ironclad. The entire point of me going to play in the championship was I wanted to add an ironclad to my force, but my force is Gropbag Scuttlers. And it took me two days, but I was able to take one down. And then once I took it down, I said, okay, then I can take that scrap and I can add that to my list, right? And and that's that's the cool story. That's the awesome engagement. I don't care that I lost that game. 
because it was so fun to tell that story with the other player. I do want to mention just, you know, to, uh, to get in a very practical mind, mm-hmm. you know, this could be simply because um, not everyone has a podcast like you, Paul. Um, <laughs> so to tell your story, could you know, we don't have to have a podcast, but it nope. could just be allocating like, look, folks, if we're going to play at our local game store on a Wednesday night or a Tuesday night, yep. let's everyone hang back 15, 20 minutes a- a- after all of our games are finished and mm-hmm. just give a bit of a summary. You yep. know, it, it could be um, on a Discord or a Skype on a Monday, a Monday or a Tuesday, and maybe your group has like a little hobby hangout. And you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people paint together, especially you know during Christmas and during COVID. And maybe you set up a midweek hobby hangout with your mm-hmm. your crew in preparation for the upcoming week. And maybe that's where you drop down those narrative gems. Mm-hmm. Maybe you are preparing them to start thinking about well. This week, this is what's going to be happening, or here is some of the story progression that could be happening mm-hmm. in our next meetup. Start thinking how your character might respond, interact, why they might be there, what's the, the driving mm-hmm. force. And I think it's that ongoing engagement, not necessarily just relying on being in store and being in event. Because again, if you're keeping me hooked and engaged throughout the week, I'm immersing myself in the story. And I'm ultimately, mm-hmm. whether I can attend or not, um, I'm going to be there. I'm going to commit. And the other thing I wanted to call out that you mentioned that we haven't kind of doubled down, but I think it's an important part. It's sharing your story. Now, mm-hmm. I know some people don't like sharing their story because they think who cares? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to share my story because people don't care about my story. One of the cool things that I've found is one, people do actually care. That absolutely a lot of people care. are invested into the law. So not everyone is going to care about your story, but mm-hmm. a lot of people do. The other part that I've really enjoyed is when I've shared my cults of Slanesh, mm-hmm. people ask questions mm-hmm. and and sometimes they're constructive and it makes me thinking about things like, well, why is this happening? Why why did you do this as opposed to this? Or how is mm-hmm. how are they going to respond now that Sigma is a bit upset that Harkuron's been taken over from Anvil Guard? Mm-hmm. And what is your force going to do now to back up Marathi? You're like, oh, yep. I hadn't really thought about that just yet, but maybe I need to start thinking about that. Or actually, that actually might inspire me to then go get some Darkling Coven and actually build the Harkuron as opposed to a Daughters of Cain force. Yep. And I think that's a wonderful part of the hobby. And your people are go- uh, most people are supportive and will want to help you and will push you a little bit. Mm-hmm. And sharing your story will allow you to get that. I think that's that's in- incredibly important. Well, even top tier players, right? Like this, the narrative is still part of the models that they have. Start of the models that they play. You know, they they play. Yes, they're going for a great army list, but like Tom Lyons is somebody who will probably talk your ear off about all the narrative about his Fire Slayer KO army, and it's absolutely amazing. Like same thing with Vince Venturella. Like. It doesn't matter that necessarily the best players are winning the tournaments. There's still a lot to be said for just having a great time hanging out and talking with other people. And there's only so much you can talk about this one game that I played and I won or I lost and this is how, right? Like It's a it's a better conversation than I lost the game because of a priority role. Exactly. Oh, finally, I, would have, I didn't roll a miscast or, you know, some type of, you know, thing mm-hmm. that happened in the game. So what? Yeah. Um, well, and, and that's part of it too. Like I lost the game because of a priority role. Why did I lose that priority role? We need to make a story to tell why my character wasn't prepared 
to take advantage of this moment because he lost the game. All right. Well, he lost the game. He sacrificed this unit. <laughs> what is that unit going to do now? Because they just watched their guys get absolutely beat up because he couldn't be bothered to pay attention to what's going on. All right. You've already got that narrative of, all right, okay. out, let's figure out that out. The rule. Get exactly. Right. Do we have a mutiny going on in the army? Like, let's figure that out. That's, that's a cool story to tell. Couple of quick questions before we kind of wrap things up. Because um, mm -hmm. I think we could talk. This is a. <laughs> when I reflect on this conversation, Paul, and it's and it's an important one, yep. you know, we talked about the path to glory system, but a lot of our discussion has been around narrative and mm -hmm. storytelling. And I think that's important because path to glory is a mechanism, match yep. play is a mechanism. Mm -hmm. Match the, the general's handbook is just a book, much yep. like the path of glory is just a book, but it's what we do with our resources to tell these great stories, whether it is I'm the greatest champion because I five and owed at a major tournament, mm -hmm. or I had a great story because um, the crewmen of my Stormcast Ballista mm -hmm. were able to kill a Gargant who on his last wounds. Yeah. And I toppled the Gargant. I, I'll never forget. That's one of my greatest stories in Warhammer was in fantasy battles of my volley gun, my volley gun crew were charged <laughs> by a ale guzzler gargant mm -hmm. and they did some shooting. So they kind of chipped some damage off the gargant and then they ended up killing. There's only three of them, but they mm -hmm. killed um, the, the giant. Yep. And I always tell the story that the giant had an infected toe and they used like their, their, their tools to kind of like attack where it was a weak spot and kill yep. the giant. Yeah. One of my 20 best years, 20 years yeah. later, I'm still telling that story. One of my best stories from 8th edition was playing a, an immensely competitive game um, where I was playing my ogres versus Empire. And I was trashing my opponent, which was amazing because he was an amazing player. And I had built my army list to beat him so I could win the tournament because I knew he was the best player at the tournament. And I was just like, yes, I'm finally doing this, right? And so... As it was the last turn, I was like, all right, I'm going to fire this pigeon bomb. It's going to kill three wounds of that unit, and it's going to flee. And I'm going to 20-0 him, and this is going to be amazing, right? The pigeon bomb misfired, and it hit my ogre unit instead. And they panicked and fled off the table and turned it into a minor victory instead of a major victory. But how good is that story, right? I still ended up winning the tournament, and it was still a great time. But, like, how good is that story? And I think this is the thing, right? And this is what I probably haven't specifically stated, right? You're talking about listening to audiobooks. We're talking about reading the lore of Age of Sigmar. And it's intimidating to say, I'm going to contribute to the lore, right? Not all of us are authors, right? Like, Dan Summerbell wrote a book about his narrative for Raw. And that's absolutely incredible, right? Like, it's fantastic. But it takes a lot of determination. takes a lot of effort. And it takes a lot of self-criticism to be able to write a novel, and especially a good one, right? Not all of us are authors, but I tell you what, every single one of us is a storyteller or we wouldn't be playing this game. And this is just a device to help us to tell our story. And so we can be those storytellers and we can tell those those awesome moments and, and really live live through them with other players because that's why we're in the hobby, to be able to experience and enjoy what our little plastic men do on the table. Yeah, I dig it. And it leads to so much fulfillment. Um, mm -hmm. And I can see, you know, people have been really enjoying this show and I'm glad that we've had been able to, um, to share a spotlight. You know, this, 
this type of thing raises questions to me. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm right now. I'm looking at my map, and I'm, I'm seeing that you know my city is next to Bright Spear, mm -hmm. and Bright Spear is a city, not of Sigma, but a, a city, right? And there's mm -hmm. some rules and some cool things, but it, but it opens up questions about conversion opportunities. What would uh -huh. a city, and and you know, even if we go to like cities of Sigma in the realm of death, something really basic. Yeah, and there are stories about the living. Um, working in parallel with the dead, exactly. that they um, they they live with their ancestors, right? Mm -hmm. There's stories already in in Age of Sigma. What does that look like on the table? Mm -hmm. What does that look like as an army? Yeah. How do I bring that story to life? Do I? Uh, and I've seen some really cool people. There's some wonderful artists on Twitter and on you know on the internet. You know, I could hire somebody for not very expensive to draw me up a custom character. It's very big in Dungeons and Dragons, but I could get someone to draw up my version of a hero. Mm -hmm. I could simply go out and buy a couple of extra kits and I could go find some parts and make my hero or my unit a little bit unique, mm -hmm. you know, make it a bit realm of deathy, make it a realm of metal. You know, um, you've mentioned Vince in the past. Vince has gone out and used some 40K parts, I think from Admech to mm -hmm. make his a bit more technological city of Sigma. Yeah. But what, is it, what, is of, but what does cities of Sigma look like in the realm of metal? Mm -hmm. What exactly. do they look like in Hish? Yeah, we have and rules. how do I tell that story? Yeah, but how do we tell those stories? And and how do we tell those stories with our models? And, and, and this is just like everybody who is an amazing hobbyist, right? Which is 90% of us, honestly. Like we're sitting down, we're assembling plastic models, we're painting those figures, right? Like my my eight-year-old girl sits down and paints models. My my nine-year-old son sits down and assembles models because he loves the story. He loves watching it come together, right? Like, and this is what we do. And you see some of these absolutely stunning armies that win the best army at these events. And it's like, all right, so I took Nurgle, but then I took um, Orc heads, right? Again, <laughs> to go back to a, a wonderful example. And I painted them up to be absolutely amazing and they look fantastic. And it's an Orc Nurgle army. Great. I want to see you play that or Orc Nurgle army. I don't want to just see Nurgle on the table. I don't want to just see Orcs on the table. I want to see you play that army, right? And Path to Glory gives you the ability to say, it's okay to play that army because it's not going to be fair and it doesn't have to be fair to have fun, right? I mean, like, there are so many armies that we have seen that just have absolutely incredible kit bashes, conversions, all this kind of stuff. And I want to see those stories. And with Path to Glory, it gives you the tools to tell those stories. And it gives you the language. Like this is one of the things that Pete Foley had talked about, which is so incredibly awesome about Age of Sigmar, is when they released the first General's Handbook and said there are three ways to play. I tell you, in 6th edition, 5th edition, 7th edition, 8th edition, I begged people to play narrative. I begged and I pleaded and no one would play narrative for me because, well, the rules say you can't do that. This is what the rules say, right? Like I literally would talk to hundreds of people and I even talked to a friend who had, there was an awesome special character, Sahekmet, I believe, in, in Tomb Kings where it was a Lich King bound into a tomb giant, a bone giant, and then it made... Ushabti core and it made bone giants special and you can make this amazing um, army and it was included in the rules for a dwarf but my friend wouldn't play it because there were no official match play rules right 
And when AOS one general's handbook dropped and Pete Foley said, there are three ways to play open play match play narrative. All of a sudden you have this conversation because people have opened that book and they see there's a thing called narrative. There's a thing called open play. Right. And again, with the core rulebook for 3.0, there's a thing called path to glory and it's under narrative and it gives you that language to open that conversation. And, and yeah. that's fantastic. And I think I'll, I'll, I'll never forget this particular battle plan. And I don't remember where I read it. It could be in the first, it might even be the first path to glory, mm-hmm. but I remember this particular battle plan where it was about a sacrificial altar Mm-hmm. And one person was trying to do a ritual to sacrifice yep. and the other person was trying to interrupt the, the, the ritual. And it's that simplicity of asking yourself when our two armies fight, and it could be one of the battle, ta- battle plans that you're in match play. Mm-hmm. Like there are four objectives on the table. What are those objectives? Mm-hmm. What are we fighting yep. for? Exactly. Why are we fighting for them? Mm-hmm. What's what's so important about these objectives? And that kind of leads me back to my original comments around the CanCon army and the exploration forces, because mm-hmm. as my Hello Heart army was going out through battle, perhaps perhaps some of those objectives were digging sites. And mm-hmm. I was hoping to find the next storm vault. And I was hoping to find some of the secrets from Alariel in the Jade Kingdom that will allow us to do X and Y. Mm-hmm. And there were repercussions for, for finding the objectives or not finding the objectives. Exactly. And, and I think it, it's kind of that's the grounding that I really enjoy. It's like we're fighting over, uh, we're fighting over X, mm-hmm. but what exactly is X? And Paul, you and I can discuss and we can find an agreement. And through those stories, mm-hmm. actually, that's more fulfilling than it would be just trying to accumulate victory points and grand strategies. I think that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of like if I was going to summarize Path to Glory and why you'd consider it, mm-hmm. it's because it's a fundamental uh, structure uh-huh. that allows you to tell a story. And yeah. there are cool people in my Discord and people I've met in the past who custom write war scrolls. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can certainly go down that path. In the last edition, and I hope it returns sometime soon, we had the Anvils of Apotheosis, which was a hero-building tool where mm-hmm. you could custom write a hero, and that was incredible. Yep. All it is, it's a framework to tell a story. Yep. Well, and and the end of the day, an army is much easier to paint when, say, you have a hero, right? And I want to paint this unit. Well, the unit just gained veteran status and path to glory. I want to paint them now because now they have a story instead of, this is 140 points in my match play army and I need them painted to have a fully painted army, right? Like that's a much more interesting and engaging way of painting and also motivation to paint that unit, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Or you may revisit and go, actually, well, now I'm actually going to go paint their eyes. Maybe yep. I'm actually going to convert their banner. And they um, something that I remember in old fantasy battles that we don't see a lot of yep. is like trophies, uh-huh. Um, you know, you and I play Paul, you're an ogre player or a spider player, whatever mm-hmm. it might be, and I beat you. And it was an important narrative story. But then maybe I go out and convert one of my models. And this is a very Mordheim type of style. I go, well, here's my model. They've yep. now claimed a trophy. And maybe I'm now going to put the skull of an ogre on my base. Absolutely. Or maybe I've got I've got a gut plate now, and maybe that gut plate is going to be on the banner, or I'm going to put it on my demigriff because of X, 
And again, I'm, I'm, I'm digging deeper into the story. And for most people, when they see a demigriff with a gut, a, a, a gut busted plate, they're going to go, why are you doing that? But when I tell you the story, it just opens mm -hmm. up Pandora's box and, you know, it inspires others. Exactly. So my last couple of questions, I guess, is do you have any advice for someone who is thinking about starting up a narrative campaign? And I say campaign, not about, not, not the individual stuff. I think mm -hmm. hopefully through this discussion, people are inspired enough to go pick up their battle tome, to go pick up an audio book, listen to your podcast, The Mortal Realms, go listen to 2 Plus Tough, go listen to Cinderful mm -hmm. Gaming, go listen to anyone who's doing some lore and find that little tidbit find that little part of, part of the story and think about my force and my characters and name them and just find something. Mm -hmm. But if I was going to start a path to glory with me and a couple of mates or me and a bunch of randoms, yep. what advice would you give me to get started? Um, so if, if I'm like, this is what I want to do, right? You say, all right, so I want to do this. I have the passion to do this and I want to organize people to do this. All right. Let's say new, gonna... new army. People yeah. come back from Christmas. People, a couple of us are going to go buy some, start collecting boxes, or we picked up mm -hmm. and split the Dominion box. Yep. So what I would do is I would have a conversation with those players and say, "All right, what are you looking to get out of this? Right? Where do we want to have this this start? Like, you want to engage the players before you even hit the tabletop, and make sure that you're making something that they want to be engaged in. Right? If you've decided that you want to write, you know, fight a battle in Excelsis, but I'm playing you know, Daughters of Cain over here and I'm playing Ogres over here and it, it just doesn't fit my, what I want to do with my army. It doesn't matter how great your lore is. It matters how good friends they are, right? But if you're telling a story together, if you're collaborating, then you want to start collaborating before you even start planning that out, right? What are we passionate about? What do we want to do? And how do we want to move forward? Like, where are we going to start with that path, with that order of battle, right? So maybe the first step is saying, hey, I want everybody to write up a 600-point order of battle, and I want you to submit that order of battle to me, and we'll try and figure out some commonality to make that story start, right? Why are we here? What are you looking for? Let's come up with a place to start, right? Once you come up with a start, you need to write up some background or, or make up a map, do something to engage people into this is what we're playing and this is how we're playing, right? And then again move that narrative forward as stuff happens as people say this is a cool thing that went on all right include that in the story try and figure out where players are engaged and move the story into that engagement right but you have to be willing to give to the players but it, it's, it's the best thing like <laughs> as opposed to a match play tournament where you're giving to the players and you're saying i'm gonna throw a tournament you do all this work at the end of the day somebody goes home and has one second, third, best death, best order, whatever you want to, right? And then they walk out the door and then you clean up and you're done and you're like, I did something cool, right? Path to glory, you start that up and you get to the end of the story and you say, we did something cool, right? I didn't have just people rock up and play in this tournament. I didn't set up the groundwork. We made something together, right? And, and to me, that experience is so much more rewarding than running a tournament, not to take away from running a tournament. I've done it myself. It's a lot of work. It is super rewarding, but it is amazing to be able to collaborate together to tell those stories. And that's what I love. And, and so that's what you have to do with your players, right? Collaborate and tell that story together.
Yeah, play play a sandbox. You don't have to know the entire narrative. You don't have nope. to kind of have those milestones. Uh, mm -hmm. Because any Dungeons and Dragons or role playing game master knows that you can plot out the campaign perfectly, mm -hmm. and the end, and the players will just go, eh, oh, they'll completely day one they just break and... into the sewers and blow up the city, and oh yeah, like crap, they had like spent perfect, hours. this perfect plan, but actually they go and keep talking to some random NPC at the, the in the fireplace, and that yep. leads him into a bizarre quest that was never on the radar. And as you, mm -hmm. as a game master, or you as someone who's I guess driving the story forward, you need to be um, flexible in your approach. Mm -hmm. I was going to say loose, but flexible. And um, I muted myself really quickly because you know one of the things that I'm most proud of <laughs> is uh, my customized, you know, more crusher. And I was going to use this as a, but more importantly, I think for me, why I really like this is because I it's a conversation starter. Yeah, I picked up a standardized model, made it a little bit my own. And yep. it creates a story and it creates a trigger because everyone that sees it will ask me, what's it about? Why is there a goblin on a more crusher? Oh, the more crusher has a squig face. What's the story behind that? And then that gets them invested and it starts the conversation and mm -hmm. it leads to some wonderful experiences with your opponent. I think that to me is, is an important element. Yeah. Goblin, so I like, I like to bring my stories on life. Yeah, I like to bring my stories to life with my models. And it could be mm -hmm. a banner. It could be a hero. It could be the basing. It could be just something that, that makes them a little bit different to what you would see on your box art. Mm -hmm. And um, it's one way to tell a story. Exactly. We all tell stories. We're all storytellers. Uh, Will, Will, this is this is this like your uh, steps to tell a narrative? Stop collaborate and listen <laughs> oh my gosh if that's not trademarked uh i would be trademarking that for age of sigma law uh now this has been awesome man there's so much we could talk about narrative you know there's there's cool opportunities i know there's a lot of people out there who do play role-playing games that are getting into tabletop games they are buying models to paint for their dungeons and dragons for example and mm -hmm. it's actually i've actually met a lot of people who are dipping their toes and it leads to war cry and then war cry leads to age of sigma yeah um it's those stories and there's a big pool of people who play rpgs and they like to tell stories mm -hmm. find ways to incorporate them into your battles into your events uh path to glory to me is just an awesome place to um to, to to kick in but paul is there anything else you want to kind of wrap up i imagine you'll want to plug your podcast one more time at least for those people who want to learn more about the mortal realms you and your crew mm -hmm. always a good time well, check Always us out. A good time. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, check us out at the Mortal Realms, uh, What the Hex, Dogs of Warcry, and Path to Story, which is our Path to Glory podcast with Will, who's uh, chatting away in the in the chat there. So, um, but at the end of the day, like, it, I, I, you know, it's just another tool in the toolbox. If you bought Dominion, it's free. Why not? Like, you just enjoy it and tell that story. And and as you know. As I was talking to Vince and Tom, it really is, it brings back some of that beauty and the storytelling of the old Mordheim, which, you know, Mordheim is remembered for a bunch of stuff, but a lot of it is just being able to really craft that narrative and craft a story. And and why not? Like, we all do it anyway with our conversions. We all do it anyway with our painting. We're all thinking about it anyway. And this is a way to lay it out on the tabletop. 
And it also, for me, just asks, makes me think about questions a little bit differently. Like when I look mm -hmm. at this this white dwarf, it's just the one that I happen to have next to me. You know, there's a map of um, of, of the realm of shadow. This yeah. is not a realm I really think about a lot. You know, there's no. other realms that I, I like more often. Yeah. Realm of shadow is not one. Yeah. But it gets me to think about the lore. It gets me to discuss the lore. It gets me to think about what this might look like with my particular army or how you know, a more shadowy focused city mm -hmm. daughters or not yeah. daughters, but like, you know, the factions that are like, well, what is a Gargan? And I think that's probably yeah. helped me a lot with my conversions with Gargans. This is my favorite map uh, for AOS. This is in the core rule book. This is Hammerhall Aksha. It is absolutely stunning. And there is so much lore. Uh, it's on page. What page is it? Page 90. Like, check it out. If you, if you love those maps, like it is just, it just formed or sprung fully formed in my mind after just looking at that map, how cool it is with the lava channels and everything. And just, yeah, they're, they're really giving us some meat to dig into with the lore for age of Sigmar. And, and it's fun to be able to explore that. And that's why I like the Soulbound. You know, even if you don't play Soulbound RPG, that core mm -hmm. rule book, that introductory book paints the mortal realms in such great detail that, mm -hmm really gets you thinking about the, the realms. It gets you thinking about things a little differently, the factions differently. Like I've learned so much looking at the bestiary and things like that too. So um, really good for immersion. But Paul, this has been awesome. I think you and I could both talk narrative forever. People, <laughs> forever. Might, start thinking of, so people might start thinking this is too plus tough. <laughs> um, you know, like who might get confused, you know, too much, too much narrative talk on, no, look, you know, my, my end comment is that match play and narrative play are not mutually exclusive. No, you can be match play with a narrative focused. You can have a narrative force with still a competitive mindset. Um, so find a balance for yourself. However, wherever you are on that, that kind of, that's that pendulum. Exactly. All right, well, let's wrap up. I've got Christmassy stuff to do. Um, happy Paul, Festivus. Sure it's still Festivus happy... here. So did I show did I show you off my rich? And this is my little my little list. I've even gone and written my little names and you know nice. Look at me. Look at me. I need to actually expand this out and actually do something with it, but I really yeah. enjoyed it. Paul, you're an absolute legend. Thank you for what's that? It is the uh the uh the poll, the Festivus poll. I pitted it oh, up my heart here on our there's some grievances uh, for yeah. all of you. But um, oh, the other thing I'll call out is if you're enjoying this, um, the narrative event organizers, they've got like a, it's called the Neo or the Neon. Um, I'll put mm -hmm. some links down below in the description. Like they they create some great narrative yeah. resources as well. There's things like the Great Weave, the Jibberdome. Mm -hmm. There's all these great things that are happening. Um, so, you know, you can find events and tabletop simulator events and resources and packs. And some of the things I shared, I'll put down in the links yeah. below so yeah um, Nuno, continue your journeys yeah Nuno, uh the neo event organizer network just has a ton of stuff that you can access from all over the place so definitely check them out yeah cool all right i'm gonna wrap up thank you very much paul go check out the model realms podcast thank you for your time and enjoy your path to glory telling that story Thanks for sticking around until the end. I hope you found that video interesting and you walked away with a few new ideas. If you did, I would appreciate it if you hit like on the video as well as left me a comment. Let me know what your thoughts are in the comment section below. 
The conversation will continue over on Discord, so links down below in the episode description if you want to join the Discord and continue the Age of Sigma conversation. I want to give a massive shout out as well to these absolute bloody legends, these champions who have continued to support me through Patreon or YouTube members. That is going directly into supporting the maintenance and the growth of this channel. So thank you very much, guys. Much appreciated. And until next time, roll more sixes.